Welcome to Tell Me More. My name is Luke Stair. I'm filling in for Katie Reed Hodges until she returns from maternity leave. We're so excited for her. This morning or afternoon or whatever time you're listening, Dr. Wiles and I have a conversation that kind of wraps up Missions Month here at First Baptist Arlington. And we talk about the message that we have been given to share and why we take it to the whole world and how we do that. Uh, So we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Well, welcome to Tell Me More. My name is Luke Stair, and I am filling in for Katie Reed Hodges, mm. <laughs> who is having babies today. That's exactly right. We have we have her triplets showing up today. <clears throat> it is an exciting day. It is. It really is. <laughs> so we're thrilled for her. I'll be covering for her until she returns to us after maternity leave. So if you're listening to this, just say a prayer for Amen. their family today. Mm-hmm. But we're here. We are. To tell us more. So I have a very important question that I wanted to start with. Hmm. What is the most important pie for you at Thanksgiving? (laughs) I'm a lemon icebox pie man. And uh, I like strawberry pie too, but I'm a lemon guy. And my mom, when we were kids growing up, that's what my mom made. And uh, she had had that, it has the um, kind of vanilla wafer kind of crust Mm -hmm. and um, kind of a creamy you know, the middle of the pie. But my mom made meringue that um, a lot of folks don't like and they don't do much anymore, but she knew how to just make it just where it was crispy at the top. You know what I mean? Oh, that's beautiful yeah. when oh, yeah. it's done right. It. Yeah, I love it. And uh, But uh, but my wife makes a um, – she makes several things. She makes this strawberry jello salad that, that has um, – I guess it's cream cheese. I'm not sure what. Is that the one with the pretzels? Yes. Oh my goodness, that is like that. Once we make that, true proof that you are from the south. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, that becomes (laughs) breakfast for the next week. (laughs) Also, the fact that I knew that. (laughs) That's right. That I lived there too. You know. Yes. This Thanksgiving week, isn't that awesome? It is. We love. In fact, Cindy, um, you know, we don't do Christmas decorating until after Thanksgiving. Cindy's a stickler for. You have Thanksgiving before we move on, so we don't bypass it. I can appreciate that. Yeah. So anyway, but uh, I I love Thanksgiving. I'm a big Christmas guy, so I'd put up Christmas decorations, you know, today, but she won't. We can't do that at our house. We're all fall and Thanksgiving at our house right now. (laughs) So, but but my wife makes good old-fashioned southern dressing and Mm. giblet gravy and, yeah. That, that's what we eat. It's going to be a great Thursday at the mm-hmm. Wiles house. I'm feeling good about it. <laughs> uh, so it's not only Thanksgiving week. We are capping off Missions that's Month right. here at First Baptist. That's right. It's awesome. It is. It was a great month. Yes. A um, lot of great things happening. Mm-hmm. That interactive display was mm-hmm. so well done. So great Incredible. work to mm-hmm. Ashley and our creative team. Mm-hmm. Shelby and David did mm-hmm. such a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. if you were here, hope you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but you also preached this Sunday on reclaiming the entire world. I know it. <laughs> Just a small task. <laughs> Just a very small, easy, straightforward right. task, as we'll talk about today. Um, oh, so you man. preached through Luke 24, 36 mm-hmm. through 49, which mm-hmm. is one of these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You did, a, I think, a really great job at setting up the context for us that it's after the road to Emmaus encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some things that 
still stand out to you that maybe you didn't have time to go into on Sunday morning that you'd want to add about this passage from Luke? Well, first of all, I love these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Um, not, I, I guess you, not any one gospel writer has them all, so we have to read all the gospels to to um, compile this list, if you will. And then we have Acts also. And so what I, I like about Luke's perspective is I think Luke intended to write both Luke and Acts. And so he knew that there was another volume coming, and it's almost like he— he kind of truncates the ascension story a little bit at the end of this gospel, knowing that it's it's going to lead off what he writes next. And um, and I, ju- I just I love the um, I love the surprising nature of the appearances of Jesus. You know, when uh, as I said Sunday morning, Jesus appears to these disciples and says, "Peace be with you," and that's the last. It's not thing. peaceful. <laughs> yeah, they are freaking out. Um, but I love that. I love that he surprises them. But also like the companion story in the book of Acts where it, uh, Luke tells us that he continues to teach them about the kingdom of God. And to me, I think once they got over the shock, if you can, of the resurrection of Christ, well, then there's still this period of time of, that was still instructional. And I, I, I wish we had a little more of that, to be honest with you, just to, to hear how, how Jesus furthered their knowledge and understanding the kingdom of God after he's the resurrected Lord. Because if you think about it, that changes everything. That recontextualizes every conversation they've ever had, <laughs> you know, because they were looking forward to something this whole time, and now all of a sudden Jesus dies, and then he's resurrected from the dead. Well, that just, that changes their hopes, their their um, their understanding of time, and um, it just it just creates such a different context for all their understanding of everything Jesus had to say. And so I, I I love the little bit of insight that we get. You know, this is one of my favorite stories because it's connected. The road to Emmaus, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> maybe one of my favorite post-resurrection appearances because it's interesting to me that in this story they tell the those two folks on the road to Emmaus. Well, he's already, on to Emmaus. He's already appeared to Simon Peter, and we don't even have that recorded for us. So we don't know what what happened there. What mm-hmm. when did that happen? But I like this the um, the Emmaus appearance because it it feels more like what we all experience. In other words, this conversation about the scripture. It's um, sitting around a table. We're not our hearts burning within us, right? That that feels um, like something we can all relate to even today. That we're sometimes you're with the people of God, and maybe you're sharing a meal, maybe sharing the Lord's supper. And you're talking about the scripture, and you have this profound sense of the presence of Christ. Well, that to me, I identify with that Emmaus experience, if that makes sense, um, as opposed to him passing, you know, just all of a sudden appearing in the middle of a room <laughs> when the doors are all locked. I mean, that, uh, I haven't had that encounter. Um, so, anyway, I just, uh, I just like the. First of all, I'm grateful to God for the resurrection because that's the at the very heart of our faith as Christians. Um, but I love the, I like the humanness of it too, you know, that Jesus says, look here, you can see this, look at me, you know, touch me and give me something to eat. I don't, I don't know, Luke, I'm not sure that I would push that too far because I know there are a lot of questions about what, what's our post-resurrection body is going to be right. like, do we eat? And all? I mean, I don't know. And I wouldn't, I don't, I don't think Jesus was eating in that moment because he was hungry 
in my opinion, I believe he was showing them. I'm not a ghost. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's probably what was going on there. But there's enough there to encourage us about the resurrection of our own bodies one day. So. Right. It will happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. I love it. <clears throat> yeah. And I think this death, burial, and resurrection is just key to our message. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things you talked about. And mm-hmm. as you were preaching, I was reminded of a quote from Leslie Newbegin, who's a missiologist, mm-hmm. great writer, has probably shaped the way people who work in mm-hmm. missions think about missions just 10 times over. All of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has this quote, and he says, the first evangelism in the New Testament is the announcement by Jesus that the kingdom of God is at hand. It is, strictly speaking, news, and it requires an immediate response and action. There's excitement. People flock to hear. But it seems as if God's reign is not what we expected. I think that conveys what the disciples are feeling. Mm-hmm. There's both enthusiasm and rejection. And in the end, there is betrayal, condemnation, and death. God's reign has not appeared after all. There's despair and suicide. But what seemed to be the end is the new beginning. The tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. Death is conquered. God does reign after all. There is an explosion of joy. News that cannot be kept secret. Everyone must hear it. A new creation has begun. One does not have to be summoned to the task, using quotes around that word, of evangelism. If these things are really true, they have to be told. I think Newbegin, in writing that, probably has this final passage of Luke in mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we have news. We have a message. It's death, burial, and resurrection. And if it's really true, it's something we have to tell. And I think that is what you were getting at with this is we have a message we've been given. Yeah, because it's not us trying to reorient people's view of culture or critique their own culture or um, somehow adopt a way of life per se that's Western, it's orientation. I mean, because today predominantly the missionaries come from the West. Now, that's that's it's changing. It's changing, um, but that's really not it. It's 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 the it's what you just said. It's us sharing this good news that uh, you know, that the Lord has come and He has He's lived a life before us and He's made some claims about Himself. You know, um, I was thinking about um, our conversation last week about the young man that's playing basketball at UTA, you know, who told me he studied a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Islam, a little bit a little of Christianity. Bit everything. Yeah, kind of all leads to the same thing. You know, the more I've thought about that, um, I've had similar conversations in the past. And usually somewhere I usually end up just asking about Jesus because I think that's really the question. What do you do with Jesus? You know, I think that's really the 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 question. Because, you know, in, like in John 14, when Jesus says, you believe in God, well, believe in me then. Well, if I were to stand up on Sunday morning at First Baptist Arlington and tell everybody, okay, now y'all believe in God, and I take that same faith, put it in me. Well, y'all should run me out on a rail because that's— You'd be voting for Yeah, that's soon. blasphemy unless Jesus says it. <laughs> right. Jesus says, and you're like, whoo. So nobody, nobody's ever talked like Jesus, you know, and for him to make these claims— and then to document it and demonstrate it with his life and prove with his life, with his death, with his burial and his resurrection 
that he is unparalleled. There is no one else like him. So if if you say all these different religions lead to God, first of all, that like you said last week, no religious person ever says that. But then that begs the question, but what what about Jesus? If if you think that Islam leads to the same God, well then you push Jesus to a very minor role. He 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 just He's becomes, just a prophet in yeah, Islam. Right. One of them. I mean, if you adopt Buddhism, well it it's almost like it doesn't matter <laughs> who Jesus is. But if you if you take him at his word and you decide Christianity really is real, well then he is the person. And that really is the message. And so for us, that's that's what we're taking. Right. Jesus. You know, not Western culture. Now, you know, missionaries, historically, we, we've made a lot of mistakes. We all have. My oh, my goodness. goodness. <laughs> Lord, help us. Missions history is a lot of tragedies. <laughs> it really is. Um, but at the best, at the heart, it's Jesus. And when we focus on Jesus, that's when the real transformation takes place. So, Right. Um, so I think these, it, these stories, to me, are powerful. They are. I think about the C.S. Lewis quote of, you either have to call Jesus a liar. He was just— yeah. Intentionally manipulating people, mm-hmm. or he was a crazy person. He was a lunatic, mm-hmm. or he actually is who he says he is, and he's Lord. Mm-hmm. And but that pretty much sums it up. He's liar, lunatic, or Lord, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you got to pick one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know when a lot of times in our conversations that we have in West Africa, in particular, where we're dealing with more folk Islam, we usually ask the question: Do you, do you believe in God? Well, yes. Well, do you believe in the Word of God? Well, yes. Well, do you believe in the Spirit of God? Well, yes. Well, so do we. <laughs> you know. And then we usually quickly turn to, so what do you do with the bold declaration that the Word became flesh? Mm. And so really, what do you do with Jesus? That, that really is the kicker for me, Luke. That's, uh, that's the question that separates uh, everybody, in my opinion. You have to decide what to do with him. And, and you can't you can't dismiss him. He's too big for that. There, there's, there's two, two and a half billion adherents. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so well, you, you can't just dismiss him. Just think about the artifacts of Western culture are, <laughs> by and large, direct results of his teachings. Mm-hmm. I mean, hospitals, orphanages, those exactly. are all started by Christians. Right. These beliefs and the value of individuals, that's a Christian mm-hmm. teaching that mm-hmm. infiltrates into that's Western right. society and mm-hmm. gives us demo- – I mean, all of this. Right is a result of the teachings of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not those teaching, those ideas are still rooted in Jesus is a different question. Correct. But we right. wouldn't have those institutions apart from That's right. the teachings of mm-hmm. Christ. And so I just, I just think we have the message, and it is the best message. And here's, I think, you know, Sunday we talked about this, and it's for everybody. It is. <laughs> and that's... Uh, you know, I think missiology can be controversial um, because there are some who would say, "Now, wait a minute, why, why, what gives you the authority to come to another culture where there's another predominant religious expression and somehow make these exclusive claims?" Mm-hmm. You know, that's and that I particularly think nowadays when we live in a, in a somewhat of a skeptical age, um, that's a that's a hard question and. I'm grateful that Jesus was so clear. Right. You know, so we're not we're not coming up with a plan, even though we have to, as you know, you're a missiologist, so uh, you work with us, with our church now. We have to make strategic decisions. We have to 
try to decide, okay, how do we think the Lord is calling us, leading us? But but we're really not devising the plan. We're, we're really more trying to figure out how to implement the plan. That's where our strategy comes in. The plan is— We're going to take this. Yeah, Good news. To all the nations, you know? So, yeah, that's a— and it's an it's a it's a direct challenge from Jesus, you know. It so. is, and I think what's beautiful too about Christianity, and Christianity is not the only religion that sends missionaries. Right. Uh, the main missional missionary religions in the world are Christianity, Islam, and Buddhism. Mm-hmm. All three of those religions send missionaries around the world. Mm-hmm. So it's actually not unique to us. That's right. Um, which I think is a helpful thing to bring about. Mm -hmm. But what is unique, I think, about Christianity is our gospel gets translated. Mm -hmm. The Quran is always in Arabic. Mm -hmm. To become a Muslim Mm -hmm. and to read the scriptures means Mm -hmm. that you're going to have to learn Arabic and you're going to culturally have to change. Mm -hmm. Christ never asks us to do that. When the gospel makes it to Corinth, they don't get told to stop being Corinthian. They get Mm-hmm. Some guidance on how to shift mm-hmm. life in Corinth, but Paul mm-hmm. and I think Jesus would not have expected them to mm-hmm. stop speaking Greek mm-hmm. or that's right <laughs> living mm-hmm. in this metropolis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not the confluence of society with mm-hmm. all that comes with it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's a it's it's you're right. It's it's translatable, and it it's like Jesus is a friend to sinners everywhere. You know, not not just in the West. Um, he just is. Well, you know, when you think about our church, so how do we how do we make these decisions? You know, in other words, how do we decide, okay, we know the plan, but we've got to implement our piece of that plan, if you will. And um, I think for our church members, it's important for them to know it's taken us a while to get to where we are. You know, we 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 didn't get to this point overnight. To where we have decided some things about our missional strategy and our calling. So, for example, the decision to send our own workers to live long-term cross-culturally. Well, that was a big decision for our church, and it was years in the making, you know. Mm. And uh, and we had to we had to develop a new infrastructure if we were going to do it. We interviewed uh, we interviewed your mentor, Dr. Mike Stroop at at Truett Seminary, and asked him. So if if we were going to do this, how do we do it? How do we do it well? Well, at the time, he belonged to another church um, than where he where he goes now. Uh, in those days, he was living in Dublin, and so he went to Cottonwood, and they had already begun doing this. So they were a little bit ahead of our church in that in that process. And so he and his pastor at the time, Mike Fritcher, became my mentors, challenging me, encouraging me. But one of the things Stroop told us was, don't do more damage than good. Good advice. Don't do more damage than good. He said, so don't send ill-equipped people and don't send without being very thoughtful and prayerful and strategic and build a structure that will really support what you think you're supposed to be doing. Well, that was uh, daunting, you know, and so he, he helped us think through, so what do we need to do? So he helped us, and he said, all right, here's what I would suggest. There are about 40 modules of training that I would suggest. If, if I, best case scenario, if I were going to send someone overseas as a missionary right now, I think they need to at least be equipped in these particular areas. And it had to do with character. 
as well as competency, you know. And we start, so we, we put together a training module we call Panorama that he helped put together. And it starts off with character, you know, because what he told us was in all the years he spent overseas, the missionaries who were forced to leave the field overwhelmingly left the field because of character issues, not competency issues. Mm. Okay, so we start with character, you know. Then we move into competency. Well, then the question was, well, how do we, okay, if we do that and we're training the people that feel called to go, how do we support them? You know, what does that mean? Because historically we've relied on our denominational entities to do that for us. And so we began to study some models of how to do that, and Mike helped us with that. And we finally arrived at where we are today. And, and again, it's taken us a while. We've matured. And so where we are today is now we have a group of lay leaders in our church, and they are part of what we call the Great Commission Council. And Ashley helps lead that along with Kurt and myself. And uh, But the Great Commission Council members, um, the church elects them, but they serve a minimum of five years and a maximum of 10. And that's because all of this takes so much time to get your head around. It does. The, the orientation, getting to know the workers, understanding why we're doing what we're doing, those kinds of things. So it's a huge commitment from if you're listening today and you're a First Baptist Arlington member, you have some dedicated brothers and sisters in Christ here who this is their calling, you know, business plans, strategic decisions, um, decisions about pastoral care. All of those are under the umbrella of that Great Commission Council. And um, But then we put a, a um, financial model together to where the church provides a portion of the funding for our workers, and then they raise the rest of it. So that's kind of a hybrid model. But we've landed on areas of focus. Again, it's taken us a while, but we call those our global centers. And it's in those centers where we focus our attention and our work and our strategy is carried out through them. And they're right now they're all very different. We have three of them, a fourth one we're about to launch. They're all different. They're managed by couples from our church, each one, including the new one. And then our volunteer teams, actually, we have, we have folks who um, work and pray and encourage and bless the center they feel most connected to, and then many of them go visit that center. And, and so it, it kind of gets in your blood a little bit, <laughs> you know. So, and each one of those centers has a, has a lay leader in the church that feels called to help lead the efforts around each one of them. And so it's been a beautiful thing, Luke, to see. It, I know it all predates you. Um, That's but, an amazing uh, thing to walk it, into. It, yeah, it's just it's a beautiful thing, and it's it's required a lot out of us because we've had to um, learn. Um, sometimes we've got to be very cautious about how we communicate about it because it's taking place in secure parts of the world. So we do that, um, but our people have lived into that well, and we have we have Bible study classes that that uh, will Skype or FaceTime with our workers in these global centers. And so they're actually talking to our people on Sunday mornings, which is a really cool thing. Technology has really helped. That's amazing. Um, and then we have stayed connected. You know, we have other partners that we work with. Um, Restore Hope is our closest one. Um, and, you know, my wife is the, is the director of Restore Hope, but Restore Hope is the vehicle we use. So Restore Hope, they get... Um, 
they they get the information from a local church like ours. We're not the only church that they su- that they support and serve. Um, but they'll just say, okay, this is where you feel called. Well, let's sit down and talk about that. Well, Mike Stroop is our missiologist for Restore Hope. So he's got fingerprints all over this. All over it. So your strategy <laughs> conversations you have, you can pass them before Mike. And here's this veteran missionary who spent many years on the field with the IMB, and now he's been teaching missions as a professor at Truett for a long time. Well, you know, it filters through his hands for him to look at it and say, well, these are best practices. These are these are, are, are models that we know are trustworthy. Well, that's helpful. Helps the church, whichever church it is. Ours will be one of those. And then the question is now, how do you implement this? So sometimes what Restore Hope will do is they'll provide a platform for us in a country because they're a, not a recognized nonprofit all over the world. So they join these nonprofit organizations in various places across the world. They build the platform out for us, and then we're able to send workers, and our visas are secured and those kinds of things. And so um, they're a very hands-on kind of partner, if you will, and uh, which is awesome. And then we have the more historic partnerships, things like Frontier or International Mission Board or Texas Baptists, and we still are connected to all of them, and we still are able to um, uh, to utilize their services, and we support financially those entities because the work is bigger than us, and the support we provide financially allows them to serve lots of other churches and other communities that we will never will never visit, you know, right. we'll never be connected to. And so, a beautiful display of that to me was Sunday morning at our church when we had all of our former missionaries who have served all over the world through these various agencies and entities, including ours, including Restore Hope, standing in front of our church Sunday morning. It was quite an array of people representing years and years of life investment and um, language training and church planting and missional strategy and and, uh, lots of places where the gospel's been proclaimed through those faithful people. It was, man, it was very humbling. That's incredible. You know, to stand there and look at all those people. Who are just in our church, so and you may that. not even know. If you, I mean, that's right. Yeah. So, but they're teaching your children Sunday school, that's or right. leading your Bible yes. study, or yes. and they could be speaking multiple languages. But right now, they're in here in Arlington, so they're doing this in English. But they're competent and trained in other languages, and and they've led movements, and yeah, it's it's pretty humbling. Um, it's a really it's a complex thing. Missions today, is it's a complex animal. It's requiring a lot out of us. Um, and then we have a brand new missional network that's just being launched called Ascent. And we're going to, to be a part of it. In fact, I was on a Zoom call this morning with some leaders from Ascent and the new executive director of the Baptist General Association of Virginia. Which that's is good people. Really if you're not familiar people. with oh. BGAV, it's oh good goodness. people. They really, they really are. Well, Wayne Faison's the new exec. Well, he is going to be the leader of Ascent. It, uh, BGAV is going to have a national platform, not just a Virginia Baptist platform. And um, and we're going to participate in it. And I'm very excited about it and the, and the synergistic relationships that are forming um, because the complexity of, of missions and that landscape has challenged us. So there are so many different types of um, strategic initiatives that exist today. And... One of the challenges is sometimes they're not all brought together under enough broad umbrellas to where the synergy can be created, you know, and some of them are more silo in their approach. Right. And so what Ascent is offering is that umbrella, that space to bring some of this together 
And it's, it almost reminds me of, um, you know, when C.S. Lewis wrote that book about love, he talks about this, this friendship love where you, go, you keep going, oh, me too. Oh, oh, God, me too. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you Romantic find lovers stare face to face. Friends <laughs> yeah. walk side by side right. toward a goal. Yeah, you kind of share that comment. Oh, man, that's important to me too. That's happening to us in a sense. It's like I didn't even know, I didn't even know anybody was doing that. And then we'll meet with these incredible um, leaders who are, who are involved in something that's incredibly strategic. We just didn't know about it. And then they sit down with us and they go, well, we've never heard of Restore Hope. Or we've never heard of Mission Arlington. We, wow. That, well, where can we learn? And so it's all, what's happening to us is we're having a lot of those, oh, me too, moments. And it has been so rewarding and encouraging because the momentum's building. Right. And we're beginning to share resources and time with each other and developing relationships. And again, it's just reflecting the complexity, I think, of the task, you know, because um, no one of us is big enough for everybody. Um, and, and the calling of God, you know, it's funny how God just calls certain people. You know, like Cindy. Cindy leads this ministry, Restore Hope, and is connected in many places across the world. But West Africa is where her heart is. And I don't know how to explain that to anybody. Just like you can talk to, to someone in maybe South Asia is where their heart is. And you, you can't explain it. It's just it's the hand of God and the giftedness of God and the calling of God. And it's beautiful because we need everybody with those different um, passions, you know, and, and sense of, of calling and direction. If we're going to blanket the world, if we're going to cast the net, as you like to tell us here as a staff, you know, if you're going to cast that net, well, it, it takes a lot of us to cast a net big enough to, to have an impact in this Turns world. out the whole world needs a big net. <laughs> it does. It really does, you know. Um, so, yeah. I'm I'm very encouraged. You know, I would tell you the the one thing too that I wanted to make sure our people understood was at the end of my sermon, we talked about the Holy Spirit. I just think that's it's huge for us to be reminded this is a spiritual it is enterprise. You know, I mean, the Holy Spirit is the real missiologist. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, if you think about it. He's the guiding person, really, and um, and so seeking his direction. You know, like I told that story Sunday morning when Chad and his friend Kyle were in this remote area in West Africa. You know, and and Cindy had trained them pick a few stories and learn how to tell them really well succinctly from the Bible. And they asked her, well, what's a good story? And she said, well, there are so many good stories. But if you're, you're going to be in a place where people are a little confused about who God is, um, she said, I love the story of Elijah, you know, challenging the, 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 um, the prophets of Baal. Well, so Chad and Kyle, man, they learned that story and they practiced it with their translator. So they made little twigs with a little match and made a fire and all that. And, and you know, talking about God being the only real God and and so there they are in this remote village in West Africa with all these men gathered around them on the side of the road waiting on a transport truck to pick them up to take them back to Cindy and the team. And and they looked at one another and they told their translator, we need to tell a story. Look at all these men. And and well, here they are, two white men, okay, if I can say it that way. Draws a crowd in certain parts yeah, of the world. in that part of the world, people were curious. And they said, well, we, we want to tell you this story. So you got like 40 men gathered around and, you know, they tell the story of Elijah and then any questions? And one of the men says, yeah, can you tell me how to follow the Jesus way? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
what does Jesus don't exactly have to do with Elijah? Jesus out of that story, but <laughs> that's right. Well, that's the Holy Spirit, and and I right. love that Chad and Kyle both realized, oh, wow, this this is what Cindy told us. This is a man of peace. This is someone we need to be connected to, and so that's where we started our work in that part of the world, and it's still there today, you know. And it was the wow. Spirit of God, you know, and. And then when Cindy gets there the next year to that same community and the chief's son is sick and and is in pain, high fever, and Cindy transports him six hours to, you know, the national hospital and they run all these x-rays and find out, you know, kind of what's going on with him and then they, they cure him, you know. Well, that chief, when they get that boy back home, he looks at Cindy and says, you can stay here from now on. You are always welcome. Well, I didn't finish the story Sunday morning. That young man, that chief, that chief's son, he's now the chief, and he's now a follower of Jesus. Incredible. And so, I mean, it's the, it's the Spirit of God. You can't, you can't strategize all of that. No. You just be in the right place to be faithful. And the Holy Spirit of God takes that kind of stuff over. You know what I mean? So, indeed. Yeah. Well, one of the things in missiology we talk about is that God precedes the missionaries. So God has always gone before the missionary, and mm-hmm. so before we ever show up in a place, God is already at work. Mm-hmm. We're just showing up That's to right. join in what God has already started doing, mm-hmm. and we're just ready to be there to be used mm-hmm. by God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing, really, when you see it in real life, and and now. You know, since I've been there to that village and I've met this young man and now to see him as a follower of Jesus and um, and all of that really starts with just the faithfulness of a group of lay people in our church being willing to launch out in a place and, like I said, tell a Bible story about Elijah. <laughs> and now we have a whole, we have an area where the chief is now a follower of Jesus. And then even, what was even crazy to me was when they took me to meet the king over that area. And he asks us point blank, so why are you here? You know, and we kind of looked at each other and my translator looked at me and he said, you know, pastor, you just need to tell him he's the king and he oversees this whole area. I said, well, to be honest with you, we're here to tell all these people about the good news about Jesus. We, we are, we're Christians and uh, we want to share it. Now, we also, we have doctors and dentists and you know, we want to help you get clean water. We, we've got some folks who can help you drill wells. There are a lot of other things. But to be honest with you, King. I mostly just want to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> That's right. And he, you know, he kind of stood there for a minute, and he didn't say anything. And I thought, oh, my goodness. And he said, well, when I was a little boy, we had an Anglican missionary here. Um, and she told our community about Jesus, but she didn't stay long. But she told my dad, your son has great potential. You need to send him if he's going to be a king, he needs to have a different education than you do because the world's going to change, and and you need to you need to see to that. And um, and he said, and because of that, my dad sent me to France, and I got a, a Western education. And when I came back home, the president of the country appointed me as the king over this region. And he said, um, and I know that a part of that was not just because my father had been king, because things have changed, and the and the the, the president and the council, and they no longer just go by. Who, whose father, you know, who's your father? You've got to be qualified. And he said, there is no doubt my education has opened the door for me to have this role. He said, so I made a decision a long time ago. If any Christians ever show up again here, and he said, y'all are the first ones, you would you would be welcome here. Well, again, Luke, we, 
<laughs> you can't control that. No, and we didn't. We had no idea. We there's got, no strategy that gets no, you there. No, again, the Holy Spirit, brother, it's awesome, and uh, so we we want to be quick to give the Lord credit and know that He's like you said, He's He paves the path for us, you know, but not just in Africa. In Arlington, too. That's right. You know, missiology works everywhere. Oh, it does. <laughs> you know. I mean, I had a conversation with a young man from India just this morning and got a chance to pray with him. He was standing around our Jesus statue looking for someone to pray with. And Oh, really? I was... It's Thanksgiving, so there's just not a lot of ministers <laughs> in the building today, so I'm yeah. going to go out. But, yeah, you know, come to find out he's a Christian and he's looking for... A place to call home and belong, mm-hmm. and I mean, you just can't. That's right. That's right. Bring those things mm-hmm. together. It just mm-hmm. that's God at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think for us, our missional calling as a church, we're going to stay as best we can connected to the leadership and the wisdom of the Spirit of God. So we pray, we listen, we read the Scripture. We, we also learn, you know, because things have changed. And I want us to continue to embrace that, that we know that uh, methodology has to shift sometimes. And so we're not, we're not bound to any of that. No. You know, we're not. We're just tied to this story, though. Right. <laughs> to quote Dr. Stroop, quoting his dad, God can hit straight with a cro- crooked stick, yeah. but sure is great when you can have a straight one. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Well... Well, thank you, man. Thank you. I think that's about all we have time for today. Good. Um, so thank you for listening, everyone. And, and so next, Advent. We move to Advent. We do. I'm and, excited. Oh, my goodness. And we'll keep reading Luke, and uh, and our theme will be Remember. And what a great story to remember. Well, as we shift to the beginning of Luke, I'd want to encourage people, kind of thinking along these themes of the Holy Spirit, Luke is the gospel writer who emphasizes the Holy Spirit the most. So if you're reading through the first parts of Luke for the first time in a while, I would challenge you to count how many times the Holy Spirit is referenced before Jesus is even born. And I think you'll be surprised at the prominent role of the Spirit in the early chapters of Luke. It's pretty awesome. So I'm excited. I like Luke. Great. Blessings. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening.